0: All right, uh, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Shen preached uh, on our church team, right, for the year, uh, for, your, uh, for our <clears throat> uh, Penang Trinity regulars. Why don't you turn to one another and say, what is the church team for the year, for our Penang Trinity regulars? Church team for this year. Building upon faithfulness, okay? Building upon faithfulness. So the, the key verse there was Jude 28 to 21, right? Okay, now, this week, we're going to start a new sermon series on 1 and Second Kings. And uh, we're going to explore the themes of God's faithfulness in the midst of the unfaithfulness of God's people throughout these books. And First uh, and Second Kings... Is a continuation of Israel's history that can be traced back to the book of Joshua. Now, the book of Joshua happens uh, after Moses gives, after Moses gave his last teaching to the nation of Israel to be faithful to God's laws in the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, the book of Joshua describes how Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, out from Egypt, entered and gained the promised land. So the book of Joshua is about gaining the land. Next we have the book of Judges, which describes how God faithfully raised up judges or national leaders to lead the nation and secure the people from their enemies despite their repeated disobedience to God. And so this is about securing the land. The next major milestone is First and Second Samuel, which we covered over the Uh, Previous two years, this is where the nation of Israel transitions into a monarchy, a line of kings, starting with Saul, whom God eventually rejects, and to David, the man after God's heart, who brings security to Israel by defeating the surrounding nations. So, 1st and 2nd Kings is the next major block, which describes how the kingdom transitions successfully from David to his son Solomon, who brings the nation to the peak of his glory and prosperity. So, between David and Solomon, both of them, they brought Israel to its golden age of security, peace, and prosperity under God's faithfulness. Now, with Solomon, so, you know, the, the territory of Israel... Uh, You can't see the details, but this is basically the promised land, Canaan. Uh, And, you know, by the time um, Solomon extended his reign, the territory controlled by Israel is at its height. You know, the core group of the territory of the 12 tribes, up north to the right to across the Jordan, down south, uh, Israel was able to exert uh, military and political dominance. So this is the peak. But tragically, despite a very promising start, Solomon's heart eventually strayed from God. and idolatry, that is the worship of other gods, crept into the national life of Israel. In response, God broke the kingdom into two. The southern kingdom of Judah, the one in orange below, that consisted of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, Um, And which this southern tribe continued, the lines of kings descended from David, and the northern kingdom, usually called Israel, the kingdom of Israel, uh, which consisted of the other ten tribes. Now, uh, the the maps are not in scale, but the territory controlled here, at this point of time, is much smaller than the previous one. The previous one had much more um, territory to the north and to the right and to the south, so, under the divided kingdom, uh, their territory of control shrunk. So, by the time you get to the divided kingdom, you had two lines of kings, one for the northern kingdom of Israel and the other for the southern kingdom of Judah. So, as we go through First and Second Kings, the Bible tells us about the reigns of these kings, whether they were good or bad. Sadly, most of them were bad. All the kings of the northern kingdom were were considered bad in that they continued with idolatry, injustice in their society, and rebellion against God. The southern kingdom had a few good kings that we will come across as well, like uh, Jehoshaphat, Asom, Hezekiah, Josiah, etc. A few good ones who followed God like David did, And initiated reforms and revival in the southern kingdom. But overall, the picture gets darker for God's people. Eventually, God brings judgment on both kingdoms because of their unfaithfulness. The kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, was conquered by the Assyrians, the superpower of the day, and its capital, Samaria, was destroyed in 722 BC, while Judah, because of his faithfulness, survived a little bit longer. Eventually, they fell to the Babylonians and his capital Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed around 587, 586 BC. And so 1st and 2nd Kings is about the failure of kings and the loss of the land. So if you step back and we see the whole history of Israel, you start up with gaining the promised land and then you end up by losing the promised land by the end of 2 Kings. It goes from promise to crisis as we see the tension between God's faithfulness to his promise and the unfaithfulness of his people. The tension is not quite resolved by the end of 2 Kings, but prophetic books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on, they provided hope that God's promises are not lost. That God will redeem his people again. And so the big idea as we go through these historic books and some of the books of the prophets is that God's promise overcomes man's unfaithfulness. And as we look into these books, first of 2 Kings, first and 2nd Kings, I'd like to suggest three major themes to keep in mind as a guide to understand these books. First is promise, problems, and providence God's faithful promise to bless his people is complicated and disrupted by problems arising from the people's unfaithfulness that finally is finally ultimately resolved by God's providence his determination to rescue and restore his people despite their unfaithfulness So first, God's promise. God's purposes are good and perfect for his people to know his peace and to worship him. Now, God promised David to secure his throne through his descendants. As we saw last year, 2 Samuel chapter 7, the reason God establishes the throne under David and his line is for God's people to live securely under God's faithfulness. In Second Samuel chapter Second uh, Samuel chapter seven verse ten, God says, "I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning." So God's promise is always for the good of His people, abundant life under the rule of a righteous king. And God's promise was fulfilled in David's lifetime where God gave David victories over the enemies of Israel that surrounded them so that David can pass on the throne to Solomon in a secured state. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, we read, So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his rule was firmly established. So Solomon, at this point, was in a position to bring Israel to its heights of glory and prosperity. And in the coming weeks, we'll see how Solomon asked for godly wisdom to govern the nation and was empowered to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. This is how Solomon describes the situation when he writes to his ally, King Hiram of Tyre, to ask for materials to help build the temple in 1 Kings chapter 5. And this is what Solomon wrote. You know that because of the wars waged against my father, David, from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, There is no adversary or disaster. This is the peace and the security that God desires for his people. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. There are two key things from what Solomon said. Peace and security for the nation and the building of a temple so god's desire for his people is a life of peace and worship god's peace is what the people experience when they live under his anointed king under his under god's reign and authority represented by the anointed king and worship that is the basis of a relationship with God represented by the temple. In other words, it's about God's kingship over his people and the worship that binds the life of the people to God. In the New Testament, these purposes and desires of God have been fulfilled in his son Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sovereign king over heaven and earth, and our worship to God is true by believing faith in Jesus. Remember, peace under a righteous king and true worship to God. In our world, where we may have many troubles, our peace and security are only found in Jesus as our savior and king. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus tells his disciples, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid." And our life of worship can only be possible through Jesus. Again, in John's uh, Gospel chapter 14, Jesus says, "I am the way." and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father that is God the Father except through me. God's promise for his people is to come under his peace, his divine shalom, and to find rest under his sovereign authority and rule. God's desire is also to, for us, is also to have a life of worship, true worship, that binds the life of the people to God. Everything in the life of a Christian flows from the heart of worship. In fact, everything in life, whether you're in church or not, everything in life flows from worship. The only question is whom or what you worship because the rest of your life will flow from what you worship or who you worship. It is only in worship, through worship, that we know who God is, that we know who we are and whose we are. It's only from worship we are reminded who God created us to be and what he has called us to do. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, that is, all your life, as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. It is only from a life of worship that we are able to serve God with impact in our families, in our homes, our schools and workplaces in the life of this nation. How do we actually worship God and come under God's peace? We worship together as a community as what we are doing now, We worship in times of personal devotion. In our family worship devotion time. Pastor Shen described some of the ways or spiritual disciplines um, last week as well so that we are anchored in God's presence every day of the week. And from that heart of worship, we go out and live for God. That is our true and proper worship. What are you hoping for from God for this coming year? What are the promises of God that is in your heart? What if God's promise to you in this year is to bring you deeper to true worship, to experience a depth of relationship with God that you have never experienced before? how would you respond? Second, problems that, describe, that dis- disrupt God's promises. As we go through the books of First uh, and Second Kings, we find that, that at the beginning, there was very much hopeful. There's much to be hopeful for. Uh, David, as we saw, ensured the, the successful transition Uh, of the throne to Solomon, Uh, we find uh, Solomon asking for God's wisdom. We experience Solomon's great success in governing the nation, building and dedicating the temple for God in Jerusalem. And as uh, we mentioned before, Solomon brings the nation to unimaginable glory and prosperity. But As you read through those chapters in 1 Kings, even from the beginning woven into these accounts, of wisdom, of brilliant wisdom, riches and glory, there are signs of impending danger, pitfalls, crisis, which we will cover in the coming weeks. And eventually, Solomon's heart went astray into idolatry. From that point onwards, there was the beginning of the end for the nation. The complete end will only come a few hundred years later, but that was the start of the beginning of the end for the nation. From its height of glory and success, Israel experienced the breakup of the kingdom and eventual exile. So if you see the nation history of the nation from that point onwards, from the end part of Solomon's reign onwards, it's a steady overall downward spiral into idolatry and unfaithfulness to God. They went from promise to crisis. Consistently, the root of Israel's problem is idolatry. Their hearts were drawn to other gods, to sources of security and peace other than what God promised them. These problems eventually disrupted God's promise and desire for them to live peacefully or to live securely under his peace. They spurned God's desire for them to find them Security and peace under God's sovereign rule. This is what Isaiah chapter fifteen, uh, Isaiah chapter thirty verse fifteen says. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says: In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. And as you read through First and Second Kings, you will find that God, in response to the people's unfaithfulness, God consistently sends his prophets to warn the people, to bring them back to him. Uh, You will come across prophets like Elijah, Elisha, and many other men of God sent forth from God to bring his people back to him, back to his heart. And despite sparks of reform, overall, they rejected God's um, call for repentance. I was listening to an interview with Jensen Huang, the CEO and co-founder of uh, Nvidia, uh, by the Columbia Business School recently. In case you were wondering, uh, Nvidia is the pioneer and leading developer of special well, computer hardware and software that powers AI, right? the artificial intelligence. In the interview, Jensen talks about the core values of the company and for him personally, and I'm simplifying here, right? I'm paraphrasing here. But uh, Jensen says the most important thing for him and the company is to choose correctly, to choose what is impactful, to choose what others have not done before for impact. And he says that, again, I'm simplifying, but he says that when you choose impact, it's going to be incredibly hard to do, and there is a lot of pain and suffering. You need a lot of perseverance to stay on the path that you have chosen. As I was listening to him, I realized that Jensen is actually describing the core value of leadership because leadership is about choice. Good leadership is about making the right choices. Great leadership, impactful leadership is about making the right choices consistently and persevering in the right choices no matter what because a lot of times... It's going to get difficult. And this is where the kings of Israel and Judah overall, they, they consistently failed to do. They made all the wrong choices. When David handed the kingdom over to Solomon, he gave his son this charge, as we read uh, in the scripture earlier. I'm out, about to, go, to the way, the, go the way of all the earth. So he said to his son, So be strong, act like a man, observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in obedience to him, and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's very much like what God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, where Joshua was about to lead Israel into the promised land. Spiritual leaders choose to consistently walk in obedience to God. And they must persevere because a lot of times it will be difficult. It will be discouraging. The odds will always seem to be against you. Far easier to compromise Far easier to come to a resolution or solution that has human wisdom, but not of God's wisdom, not of God's will. And the failure, again, of Israel's kings is the failure to choose obedience. They failed to persevere in God's commands. God told them to be faithful. They went to build alliances with Egypt and other foreign nations without God's permission. God asked them to worship faithfully in a the temple. they burned incense and worship to other gods in all the high places, under every tree, in every hill, they pay and bow homage to the gods of the surrounding nation. And when the leaders and kings of Israel failed, the people were led astray as well. So the, roots, the root of their problems were idolatry and rebellion that led them to eventually lose the promised land and everything good that God desired for them. How did idolatry so entrapped God's kings and people? When they failed to worship God for who He is, when their worship became merely ritual instead of life-giving, their hearts were drawn to other gods. For example, this god of the harvest, Baal, will bring you good harvest, prosperity. Other gods gave them strength and security for their struggles against their neighbours, perhaps. They were always drawn to other gods, other influences, other sources of security instead of God. The temple existed just as a system of observances without encountering the actual dwelling presence of God. Many of them, in fact, remained faithful to kind of worship God, followed the overall rituals of the law of Moses, but they were mixing in worship of other gods as well. Yahweh plus others. If our worship loses the sense of God's dwelling presence and glory, then we will substitute We will substitute God for whatever our hearts desire. The false idols of our imaginations, our expectations, our ambitions, our convenience. We fail to worship God on His terms. We want to worship God on our own personal terms and self-interest. And that is the danger of idolatry. True worship draws our hearts to God. Our hearts will desire what God desires. Our hearts will long to know God's heart more and more. So we need to examine our hearts as God's people today, whether we have drawn nearer to God or gone farther away. Now, of course, this is not the same thing as having struggles or unanswered questions in, in our life of faith. Our life of faith and worship includes struggles and unanswered questions. But our hearts, in our hearts of hearts, we will always yearn to worship God despite the struggles because we cannot imagine having any other God or source of security. The key problem for God's people is the problem of true worship. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 23 Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. So God the Father is actively seeking for true worshipers. God doesn't seek lip service uh, or lifeless rituals. He knows that this will not give us life. Only true worship that binds our lives to God in a sacred bond, can bring us abundant life and righteousness. And so our worship is in the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, creating faith and loving devotion to God. Our worship is in truth, ultimately the truth of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So whether we have our corporate worship or personal devotional worship or family discipleship time or study of God's word, the Holy Spirit will cause us to grow in our love and devotion to God and to live out the truth of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What will the coming year bring us? Will it bring us more challenges or uncertainty? or economic recovery. I'd like to suggest that while all of these are important, the most important question for us as a church is will we grow to be the kind of true worshippers the Father seeks? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to make us true worshippers that the Father seeks? And what does true worship mean? True worship means more of God. And if true worship means more of God, then it also means less of everything else that is not of God. Would we allow God to remove anything and everything that is not of Him? We can trust that whatever we allow God to remove from our hearts and our lives, he replaces with more of himself and what he desires for our lives. Perhaps for many of us, this is the work that God intends to do for us this year if we allow him. No matter what happens in this year, as long as the church is growing as a place of true worship, God is able to work in us and through us to be the sword of the earth and a light for the world, for our nation, our families, for our loved ones. Third, God's providence. God's providence is His sovereign control and authority of the course of history, and over all our lives. And in His faithfulness, God providentially works to bring about what he promised despite human unfaithfulness. The story of much of the Old Testament is the story of God's unfailing faithfulness in the face of the almost constant unfaithfulness of Israel. The story of Israel is God's stubborn refusal to give up on his people despite their consistent, repeated rebellion against him. It's like as if God were like a father who refuses to give up because of love. He refuses to give up on a wayward son. He cannot, God cannot bring himself to fully reject his people. And yes, God's people, they experience God's judgment under the law and the pain of national exile to foreign lands but God never really gave up on his promise to Israel in fact the, the books of first and second kings first uh, and second samuel Joshua judges they were written mainly to a people to the people of Israel who were already in exile or just coming out of exile and so in their darkest hour when Israel had experienced and were experiencing the judgment of the law, God's people could still find hope in the future because of God's faithfulness. Even as they read the history of their national failure in first and second kings, the nation was already in process of being restored by God, as foretold by the prophets. They were coming gradually out of exile back into the promised land. Hope was stirring for God to send them a Messiah King. As New Testament Christians, we believe God's promise to David that his line is to continue on the throne is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah King. In Romans chapter 1, for example, we, we read that the, well, the Apostle Paul wrote that the gospel... He promised, God promised, beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, Jesus, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. That is to say, Jesus in his earthly lineage was of the royal line of David. That's why in the Gospels, you find the genealogies that link Jesus back to David. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. With Jesus, God's promise of abundant life and peace under a righteous king has now been fulfilled. And because Jesus reigns eternally, those who believe in him have eternal life and security. Jesus Jesus is not like a human king who grows weak and dies. He is the everlasting king who reigns to bring life and righteousness to those who come into his kingdom by believing faith in him. So in the end, God's faithfulness, his determination to bring about all that he has promised, overcomes the unfaithfulness and failures of his people. Their unfaithfulness disrupted and delayed God's promise for a time, for a season. But God's purposes succeed in the end. We don't know all that this new year will bring to us. But we know for sure that Jesus reigns over heaven and earth and over all that the new year will bring. Maybe some of us feel We have messed up so badly to have another chance. Perhaps some of us feel trapped in a hopeless situation. Just as God never gave up on Israel, He is not giving up on us now. The story of Israel shows us that there is nothing hopeless with God. If we return to God, God will renew and restore every good promise he has for us. This is how the Apostle Paul describes God's providence in our lives as Christians in a verse that many of us here know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, in all things means in all things every situation, every circumstance. A lot of things happen because we are living in a sin-cursed world. But God is able and willing to use every circumstance and work it out for our ultimate good. Sometimes we will not see this until we see God in eternity. But we can hold on to the good that God is working out for us as we live faithfully for Christ as our Lord. Paul goes on to describe God's providence as being able to supply all that we need. And this is God's promise that we can take into the new year. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 He, meaning God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also? along with Him, graciously gives us all things. If God did not hold back His one and only Son, but sacrificed Him for us, how could we doubt that God will continue to provide for what we need? And this is the promise of God's providence, His sovereign working for our good. God works for our ultimate good. As the song goes, even when we don't see it or feel it, God is working in and through all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He will provide for our good in the coming year. In conclusion, I want to give us a moment to consider the following questions before the Lord in the coming year. It's a bit small. Would you allow God to bring you to a deeper level of experience of true worship? Would you allow God to remove anything and everything that is not of Him so that God can give you more of Himself? Remember, God does not remove so that we lose. He removes so that he can fill more of himself to you? Will you trust that God is working out all things for your good? I want to pray for all of us here, and in this time of prayer, I want to invite you, if you want to truly surrender your life to God and experience true worship, And allow God to work in your life and give you more of himself. I'd like you to open your hearts to the Lord, those of you who are yearning for the Lord. And in this moment of silence, every head bow, I invite you to open your hearts to God. Then in whatever way you are comfortable You might want to just open your hands up open and to receive from God all that he has promised for you for your good in the coming year, what he has provisioned ahead of time because God's providence means that he has gone ahead of you and provisioned ahead of time all that he has installed for you and all that you will need in the coming year. But will you also allow him to remove anything, everything that is not of him in your life? Father, we come humbly in your holy presence. We stand amazed at the depth of your faithfulness, the depth of your mercies, the depth of your loving kindness. We give you thanks so many times in our lives when we have been unfaithful. Lord, you prove yourself faithful. You cover us with your faithfulness with your grace and mercies. I pray for every heart here that's open to you. Even as we open our hearts, Father, would you not do a new work in our lives and in our hearts that by your Holy Spirit bring us to a deeper level of encounter with you through true worship, that we will be a people that worship you in the spirit of and in truth, that in this year, you will make us into a people of true worshipers that you seek from your heart. We pray that this coming year, our true worship will bind our lives to you. We pray that by your grace and mercy, that your hand will remove anything everything that is not of you, from our hearts, from our lives, so that our attention will not be distracted. Our lives, our efforts will not be spent on things that are not of you, on things that will not give us life. So, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you will bring us back to yourself, that our heart's devotion will be on you and on on the things that you have provisioned for us, that you have called us to do. And we pray that even as we worship, you will make us into a holy and living sacrifice to live fully for you. Gracious God, in everything that is happening in this coming year, Father, we hold on to your promise that you are faithful, that you will work all things for our good, For those of us who love you and are called according to your purpose, you will work out for our good in everything that is in store for us in this coming year. Lord, we praise you and we give you thanks for everything you have given us in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.